This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Well, good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing well today. Uh, my name is Colby. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first weekend checking out Elevate Church, you picked a great series to be a part of. We kind of operate in series, so we'll, we'll talk about uh, a specific subject or topic until we like beat it into the ground, and then we'll kind of start another series and talk about something else. But we're in this series called Running with Giants, talking about some great giants of the faith. And I didn't realize it until now, but that guy in the video looks an awful lot like me, don't you think? I think <laughs> I'm just now realizing we're supposed to laugh that hard. Anyway. Um, it's been a great series, and we have a theme verse that's kind of carried us through this series. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and since this is our fifth week, we've been throwing in some blanks. Hopefully, you've been following, following along and kind of have a lot of this verse down by now. So I got some more blanks, some different ones this morning for you to fill in as we go. So as you see a blank, just shout out the word. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says... Therefore, all right, good job. The first word, therefore. And therefore really means that this is a continuation of a thought that's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about these great giants of the faith that have gone before us, like Moses and Noah and Abraham and all these greats. And it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by them, they're right now, they're up in heaven and they're, they're kind of watching you. They're, they're watching me. They're cheering us on as we run our race. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders, good, hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles. This is what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna focus on the line that says the sin that so easily entangles. And when it talks about sin, we're not talking about terrible, awful things that you do. Remember, we're talking about just missing the mark on some things in our life. So we're gonna focus in, hone in on that phrase today and let us run with perseverance the race. Every single one of us are running a race that God has marked out for you. We all have a life race that we are to run. So the idea of this series is, what if as we're running this race, one of these giants of the faith would come off of the stands and get all up in our face and kind of say, hey, learn from my mistakes or learn from my victories. Learn how to, how to do life, how to run the race that's marked out for you. So we've been pulling them off one at a time. Uh, and it's kind of a, an idea we ripped off of a book by uh, Dr. John Maxwell called Running With the Giants, where there's this idea that these giants would come out and kind of give us some wisdom, give us some advice. Now, today, we're not going to talk about the giant that I had planned. I was already this week that we're, let's talk about Noah, all right? And we're going to learn from Noah next week. However, during the middle of the week, God kind of called an audible in my heart. And he said, I don't want you to talk about Noah. I want you to talk about a guy named Lot. 
And Lot's not necessarily kind of one of those guys you think is a giant of the faith. However, sometimes uh, those that kind of were the worst can teach us the most. Those who kind of made the, the biggest mistakes, the biggest failures, we can learn a lot from. So I think that Lot is a perfect guy to speak to us Today, I really believe that this is going to be for somebody in this room. I couldn't think of a, a better time and a better person to talk about uh, than, than Lot because summer's here, graduates are moving on, and the reality is many of us in this room have some big decisions in front of us. We have some defining moment kinds of, of decisions to make. And so knowing that we're all faced with these decisions that not only impact you, but impact those around you, I think Lot is gonna be a perfect guy to come off of the bench, to get up in our lives and give us some wisdom. Maybe, maybe I wrote down some things that this isn't what we're gonna talk about, but maybe some phrases, some wisdom that Lot would give us. He might go uh, all ice cube on us and say, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those of you, who's ice cube? Ask your mom, ask your dad, all right? Ice cube. So Lot might say that. Lot might say to us, God, uh, one of the, the, the ways we're gonna take this, God is a God of second chances, God will always give us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. But today, here's the phrase that I want you to jot down, and we're going to learn some life lessons from Lot. And unfortunately, we can't just talk about the love and the mercy and the, the forgiveness and the second chances and all that God offers us without talking about the judgment and the anger and the wrath of God at the same time. You should know something. God is perfectly balanced. And so I think Lot would jump off the stands and here's what he would tell us, write this down. Before we wipe out, God provides a way out. And I love that about God. And I love that, I think this shows to us the, the balance of God. Before we wipe out, God provides a way out. So today is going to be a word of encouragement from one of these guys that has gone before us, but it's also going to act as a word of warning to many of us. So let's kind of dive in. Let's talk about Lot. Let's learn a lot from Lot, all right? Lot is an impressive guy, kind of a young guy. However, he didn't start out so great. Kind of had a tragic beginning. You can look in Genesis chapter 13 and on. It has a lot to say about the life of Lot, but his father passed away. And so his uncle, Abraham, took him under his wing. Uncle Abe, we, we know about Abraham. Abraham's the father of the Hebrew nations, right? Abraham's the guy we talked a little bit about in week one when we talked about Sarah, where he says, hey, God's gonna give you descendants that are gonna outnumber the stars in the heavens. So Abraham took his nephew Lot in. And so Lot learned a, a ton from Abraham. He learned how to, how to do business. Abraham was an incredible businessman, growing in wealth, growing in influence. He learned how to handle stress. He learned how to deal with people. He learned how to, how to you know, resolve conflict. He also should have learned how to talk to God because Abraham would often seek God and seek God, God first. Lot was this up-and-coming kind of young guy, had it going on, was growing in his own wealth, was becoming super wealthy, mainly because he was riding the coattails of his uncle Abraham, he was on his gravy train, but one day, Abraham, 75 years old, God taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, 
I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your country and your people, your father's household. I want you to leave it all and go to the land that I'll show you. And I'm gonna bless those who bless you. I'm gonna curse those who curse you. Some of you might know this is called the Abrahamic covenant. And so he leaves everything and guess who goes with him? Lot. Lot with all the wealth that he's accumulated. Lot with all the flocks, all the herds that he has as well. So now you have Abraham and all his companies and all his, his wealth traveling through the desert with Lot and all of his stuff as well. Genesis 13, starting in verse five, it says, Lot, who was traveling with Abram, just to back up a little bit, at this point, God hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham. So he is Abram, if, if you're confused on that a little bit, go back to week one in this series where we talk about that. But Lot was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks and sheep and goats and herds and cattle and many tents. Apparently, if you got a lot of tents, that's a good sign of wealth. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their stuff and living so close together. When you have a couple of Fortune 500 companies traveling through the desert, there's bound to be conflict. There's bound to be personality uh, uh, disputes and, and things going on. There's going to be some friction. And so Lot's employees start arguing with, with Abraham's employees. And look at verse seven. It says, disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. And at that time, the Canaanites and parasites and mosquito bites were also living in the land. There's a lot of ites in scripture. You should just know that up front. Um, and real quick, I want to stop here and make an application that is going to be practical for the season that we're entering into. Here, here's what I wanna say, it's summertime, and school's out, right? And kids are home, and for some of you, that's like, yay. For others of you, that's like, yay, you know, it's terrible right now. And I wanna say congratulations to all the teachers who survived another year. Where are the teachers at in this room? Way to go, way to go. But, since everyone's together now, living under one roof, there's bound to be friction on the horizon. Because it's kind of like, now what do we do with all these things in our house, right? Like, we gotta go to work, we got schedules to manage, we have sports teams to manage, there's just a lot going on with all this kind of stuff, and we all know that family vacation can quickly turn into family frustration. And so that's what kind of Lot and Abram uh, are experiencing in this, this moment. This disputes, these battles, this friction that's being caused. So before they bring in the attorneys and try to settle this thing once and for all, Abraham does something really great. And we're not gonna learn a lot of lessons from Abraham today. We're gonna focus on Lot. However, this is going to be some bonus material that comes out of this story. Abraham sees this conflict brewing. He sees and recognizes that it's coming and he shows us how to handle it. Look what he says in verse eight. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not let this conflict come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. If you wanna take some extra notes, you can just jot this down right here. Abraham takes initiative. Something that you and I should do whenever we see family conflict, whenever we see something brewing, is we need to step up and take initiative. Abraham says, hey, let's not quarrel. Let's not fight. We both have our lives to live and we got too much in front of us to let this nonsense, you know, kind of destroy us. Then verse nine, he says, the whole country is open to you. Take your choice. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want and we'll separate. And if you wanna go to the land to the left, 
Go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you wanna go to the right, I'll, I'll go to the, the left. The second thing I want you to jot down about Abraham real quick is that he gave Lot first choice. Not only does he take initiative, but he gives him first choice. Abraham puts family in front of personal gain. And I think those are great lessons that we can learn from Abraham. He didn't have to do that. Abraham was kind of the man. He was, he was the leader. He's the one, right, that, that Lot came under. The, all his wealth came from Abraham, but Abraham takes a step back, and he gives him first choice. I love that. Verse 10, keep going. Lot took a long look. So he's deciding, all right, am I going to go right or am I going to go left? He took a long look, and, and one direction were the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere. It says it was like the garden of the Lord. It was beautiful. It was like the land of Egypt. This was before, don't miss this, the Lord destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is an important point in this message. Sodom and Gomorrah were these evil, wicked cities where the outcry of, of evil had, had reached God in heaven. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna destroy those cities. I'm going to wipe them off the face of of the earth, but it towards the, the, the land that was great and fertile was also towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot looked one way, and, and the other kind of direction didn't look so good to Lot. It kind of looked, uh, looked a little like Gerard. He's like, what am I gonna do in Gerard, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, all right, relax. He's like, that way doesn't look so good. He looks the other way, and it's like beautiful. It's green. It's like the Virgin Islands, and trout are leaping, and elk are bulging and massive. And he's like, man, that's, that's the direction that I want to go. But in the distance were the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't miss that. Now, which way did Lot go? Verse 11 says, Lot chose for himself the, the green grass the fertile pastures. He chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So the Bible says in verse 12, Abram settled for Gerard. No, I'm just kidding. He settled for the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the plains. Don't miss this. Lot moved towards Sodom. And what's interesting to me, Lot never once stopped and said, hey, thanks, Uncle Abraham. Thanks for all that you've done for me. Thanks for the, the, you know, the wealth and the wisdom and the influence and all that you've given me. Never once did he stop and say thank you. Never once do we see that Lot prayed to God, what should I do? In this moment, in this, this defining moment decision, what should I do? There was no forethought given to the, the direction he was going other than the fact that he acted on impulse Right, Impulse set precedence in his life and said, that way looks good to me. That way is gonna be good for business. So that's where I'm headed. And in that moment, maybe Lot didn't realize it, but Lot faced something that we all face in life. It's this defining moment decision. I like to call a DMD. He faced this, this DMD, and many of you in this room have. Maybe you have one you're facing right now. Where do I go to school? What do I do? What job should I take? You are at a fork in the road deciding which way you should go. Should I go to the right or should I go to the left? Maybe some of you have made some defining moment decisions in your life and you're still experiencing the regret from those decisions that you have made. So I want us to learn some lessons from Lot, the nephew of Abraham. What do we do? 
when we face this fork in this road? What do we do when we are uh, face-to-face with a defining moment decision? If you wanna uh, jot these things down, I'll give you three things that are super practical. The first is this. We gotta downplay the upside while playing up the downside. Downplay the up while playing up the down. Because here's what usually happens. Usually the, the, the negative consequences are a lot more negative when we arrive. And the positive things that we thought were great about it aren't as great as we believed. And Lot should have run down the road a little ways to see that Sodom and Gomorrah were were in the distance. He should have run down the road and looked and thought about the fact that how moving towards Sodom and Gomorrah, I would have to compromise or I'd have to live close to temptation. I would have to to put myself in the center of this sinful environment. He should have thought through the implications of his impulsive decisions, how this would impact his family how moving close to Sodom would would cause him uh, to live in the the midst of sin, but that's not what he thought about. Lot was only concerned with lining his pockets. He was only concerned with what was best for his herd and his growth. He was concerned with becoming a major player like Uncle Abraham. He wanted to be a big-time baller right in the desert. And so that's what drove his decision-making. So he left and he moved toward the cities of Sodom, and Gomorrah. What was actually going on in these cities? Look at it in verse 13. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and they constantly sinned against the Lord. So Lot knew this, but he went that direction anyway. Which begs the question, what is it that you know that you are aware of, but you are moving that direction anyway? What is it that you know that you shouldn't be doing, but here you are still contemplating, still considering it? Maybe it's this flirtatious relationship at work that you know you shouldn't be having, yet you keep putting yourself in that conversation. Maybe it's it's this business deal that, you know, it's gonna make you some quick cash along the way. However, you know, you're gonna have to compromise maybe some, some ethics along the way as well. What are you moving toward right now because here's what I know it's only a matter of time before you end up living the life that you are moving toward and that's what Lot would come off the 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 stands and tells hey I went in this direction I was moving toward that in my life I didn't play up you know the 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 downsides I just kind of kind of played up all the stuff that was Looking good. And the second thing he would tell us to do when we're faced with this decision, jot it down, is we gotta make sure we build boards and build altars. Build altars and build boards. If you study the life of Abraham, you will see every time he faced a defining moment in his life, he built an altar to God. He got God's take on it. He sought God. God, what should I do? Where should I go? He prayed to God. The Bible is full of of these guys building altars, building altars, building altars. Contrast that with Lot. Lot, whenever he was faced with this massive decision, right, he didn't get God's take on it. He didn't seek God. He didn't seek his his, um, uh, favor or or direction in his, his life. He simply acted on impulse, and by the way, it's never a great idea to only act on impulse. True or false, all the decisions in your life that you made, the bad decisions are a result of acting on impulse. True? True. I know that's true for me. And so Lot wasn't thinking about that. All he was thinking, again, was, man, what's good 
for me. So the question is, are you building altars? Hey, are you building altars before you decide what school to go to? High school senior that's graduated? Are you building altars before you, you take that job that, that, that's in front of you? Are you building altars to God before you move your family halfway across you know, the, the, the country to, to take on a new position? Build altars, build altars. God wants mine and your uh, decision-making batting average to go sky high, and it will if we build altars. But it can't stop there. The next part of that is you gotta build boards. You have to build altars and build boards. Any successful company, any successful CEO has a board of directors in their life guiding them, leading them, giving them, them wisdom, uh, identifying the blind spots. They see angles and avenues that we don't see. I'm so grateful for the leadership that we have in this church. We have a board of trustees that helps me that gives me guidance and wisdom. I have no desire to do the autonomous, you know, kind of leader thing here. I really am seeking after what God wants us to do as a church, and it takes men and women to help define that direction for me. So companies do it, churches do it. How about you? Like right now, if you had a defining moment decision uh, that you were face-to-face with, could you go home, pick up the phone, and call a personal board of directors for your life? People that will help you uh, in making this decision. If you got a big purchase to make, you have a, a job that, that you wanna take. And if you don't, I say, man, you better get some. Like, find people who love you, who love God, people who you will listen to, people who can speak truth and love into your life. If you can't stand to be around them, they're the wrong person, right? Find some good people that can be part of your board. That's why we're pushing hard for for summer squads. We talk a lot about small groups here at this church because that really is where you get pastored, where you find community and you find connection. It it makes a, a big church smaller. But instead of doing that this summer, we're pushing squads, where you can just meet people, where you can hang out in a non-threatening environment like Sarah's. Everybody likes Sarah's. You might even not like the people there, but you like Sarah's, right? You're gonna get some orange twist cones or whatever you're gonna get. Like, join a squad. You can go on the app right now and find one. They're gonna start the week of June 18th, I think. So, So find a squad. Just connect with some people. Connect through Crash Course. This is week two today of Crash Course. It's called uh, the Make This House a Home, where we can get connected to one another. You have to build altars. You have to build boards in your life. I look at Lot and I think, man, what an what a influencer he had access to in Abraham. Like what a mentor that he could have sought wisdom from. He was face to face with such great wisdom, but he didn't ask him ever. Didn't seek that wisdom and making this defining moment decision. So what sources of help and wisdom are right in front of your face that you are not tapping into? It's a great question. The third thing in making these decisions, um, because selfish decisions will often kind of lead to uh, destruction, whereas selfless decisions lead to life. I want you to jot this down right here. A selfish decision is a decision to self-destruct. A selfish decision is a a decision that you are making to self-destruct. So how then do we make unselfish decisions? The kind of decisions that God is calling us and asking us uh, to make. Let me give you a strategy. Now that basketball is over, the NBA finals are over, the Cavs got swept, like 
ouch, right? I mean, that's rough. LeBron's amazing, but dang. Uh, and my, my favorite season is coming up, college football. I love college football, so I'm excited about college football season. But after basketball, everybody's talking about um, defense, defense. We need more defense. We gotta have the defensive strategy. Should we go man-to-man or should we go you know, zone defense? What, what would have worked out, out better? Well, here's a defensive strategy that's foolproof in helping you make unselfish decisions. It's called the P234 strategy. You ever heard of it? P234? Everybody say P. I just wanted you to say P. That was fine. <laughs> P234 strategy. Before you start getting out your whiteboard and start drawing up plays, P234 stands for Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Colby, that is super cheesy. Well, that is my name, all right, by the way. So Philippians 2, 3, 4 says, do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition. So when you come face to face with a defining moment decision, don't make that decision based on just what you want, based on your desires, based on impulse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, just to your interests alone, but to the interest of others. Lot didn't do that. Lot wasn't considering the interest of others. He wasn't considering the interest of his family. He wasn't thinking about the, the, the position he would place them in and the, the temptation that was before him. It was a selfish decision, and selfish decisions are decisions to self-destruct. Listen, I know every time I've made a selfish decision in my life, and there's been a lot of those, um, I've always experienced more pain than pleasure every single time. And so Lot made this, this decision to go, to move towards Sodom, to move towards uh, these sinful cities, but it was only for selfish gain. And you can always, I can always, we can always justify a selfish decision, can't we? Because I imagine Lot thought, well, I can protect my family from that city. Like, I'm a good husband, I'm a good leader, I got it going on, my wealth is growing, I, I, can, I can shield them from that city. Maybe you've said that, I, I, I can protect you know, myself from going out with that group of people. I don't, it doesn't mean I have to do what they do. I can shield myself, or I can, I can uh, shield myself from, from that, that business deal. I'll take care of things on my own. I'm a strong guy. When you think that, let me just tell you bluntly, it's foolish. It's foolish to think that you can, there are certain people in certain places and situations that you cannot put yourself in because the temptations to great. And I want to talk to those seniors that are moving on to college that are thinking, I can't wait to get out from under my parents' house. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to, I'm going to join a fraternity or a sorority. It's going to be awesome. But I'm going to go with the intention of, I'm going to, I'm going to join the fraternity, but I'm going to be the, the designated driver. You know what I'm saying? I'm, just, I'm going to hang out with them, but I, I, I think that I'm going to influence them. You know why I talk about that? Because that's what I did. My, one of my semesters in school, I went to the University of South Florida, the USF Bulls, for one semester. And I joined a fraternity, Sigma Phi Epsilon. And I told my mom and dad, hey, I'm going to be the designated driver. I'm just going gonna, gonna to influence them. They're not going to influence me. I'm going to influence them. How well do you think that went for me? It was awful. I never went back to that school. I don't think I'm allowed back in that school, <laughs> frankly. 
I think I failed every class I took that semester. And I know people that would say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna hang out with that group of people, but they are my mission field. Colby, they're my mission field. I'm gonna lead them to Jesus. How exactly are you going to do that? By compromising your values? By doing what everyone else is doing? He doesn't work that way. I have a, a, a guy that, that literally, he looked me in the eye and told me, I just, I talk about Jesus better when I'm a little bit buzzed. Awesome. I don't know who's influencing who, right, in that situation. Every time, every time we make a selfish decision, it's a decision to self-destruct. Every single time. And I want you to be reminded that before God plays wipeout, like he did with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, he always provides a way out. Before God played wipeout on the earth, he, he provided Noah and his family with this, this ark, right, to provide a way out. Before God wiped out the, the, the evil city of Nineveh, he provided a way out through the prophet Jonah preaching about repentance and turning hearts back to God. And in fact, before God plays wipeout on this earth, He's already provided a way out because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that whoever would believe in him would not perish in that wipeout, but would have eternal life. So before he plays wipeout, he always provides this way out for us. So let's look at the way out that God provides for Lot. We're gonna kind of dive into the story just a little bit more. Lot had moved toward Sodom as we saw in Genesis 18 and God had a conversation uh, with, with Abraham in Genesis uh, 18 starting in verse 20. It says, so the Lord told Abraham, here's what I'm gonna do. I've heard this outcry of the wickedness from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and because their sin is so flagrant, I'm gonna go check it out to see if their actions are as bad as I've heard they are, and I'm gonna find out for myself. Then the other men who were with them, these two angels, turned and headed towards the city of Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Now then there's this conversation that happens between Abraham and God where Abraham kind of begs God and says, hey, what if, you know, thinking about his nephew, thinking about Lot, what if there's a righteous guy there? What if there are some righteous people, some good people there who love you, God, who will keep your, your commands? What if 50 people in that whole city are, are, are good. Will you still destroy it? And God says, no. And so Lot goes, all right, let, let me kind of start working down from there. What if 45 people are in that city that are, are good? Will you still destroy it? And he goes from 45 to, to 40 to 30 to 20. And then finally in verse 32, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose only 10, just 10 people are found and the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. The closer I get to Jesus, the more in awe I am of his mercy and his grace. And he says, if there are just even 10 good people, 10 righteous people, 10 followers to be found, I won't destroy it. Sadly, though, he doesn't even find 10 people in these two cities. And so the angels head towards Sodom. Now watch as God provides this way out but you should know it's up to us to take it. The angels walk into the city of Sodom, and remember earlier, Lot had moved towards Sodom. Now in Genesis uh, chapter 19, look at it. Verse one, it says, the two angels arrived at Sodom. 
So they're there to check the city out if they're gonna wipe it out from the face of the earth, right? The fertilizer is about to hit the fan. You know what I'm saying? This is where it goes down right here. They end up in Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Don't miss that. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Lot was sitting in the, the, between the city gates. The only person who would sit there between the city gates is a city official, is a city mayor. Not only did Lot move towards Sodom, now Lot is actually the mayor of the city. All right, so what we realize is, is Lot's not just living in Sodom. Sodom is actually starting to live in Lot. And so Lot's there. He's fully bought in. He's fully uh, vested in this city. And he says this, my lords, recognizing them, please turn aside to your servant's house. Don't go into the city. Like, just come to my house so I can wash your feet. You can spend the night with me and then get up early and get out of town, right? Go on your way. No, they answer, we will stay here. We will spend the night in the city square. They walked up to him, and Lot was all of a sudden Mr. Hospitality. He recognized them as angels of God. He's like, uh, I'm just come to my house. And they're like, nope, that's okay. We'll stay here in the square. But Lot continued. He insisted so strongly that they finally went with him and entered into his house, and he prepared a meal for them, baking them bread without yeast, and they ate it. You know why Lot did that? Lot knew that if these men had stayed anywhere else in the city, that the evilness and the wickedness of the city, he knew that these men would be raped if they stayed anywhere else. Now, this is going to be a tough message. Welcome, fifth graders. Move up Sunday. What's up? I didn't plan it that way. But this is gonna be some tough words to hear. And so the angels go to Lot's house. And something you should know is I think Lot would, would come out of the stands and warn us that bad company corrupts good character more than good character influences bad company. In fact, this is what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. And obviously we all know people who have not so great character, but the people who are closest to you, your closest friends, your closest advisors should be people who love and follow God, should be people who, who have uh, the right interests in, in mind. So who are those friends that you're intimate with, that you share your heart with? Do they have good character or bad character? Somebody said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future, and it's so true. It says the angels were hanging out in, in Lot's house. Lot was fully bought in to, to Sodom. I think it influenced him way more than he influenced it. Verse four, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city, both young and old, surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them to us so we can have sex with them. So these men surrounded the city and they start yelling out some, some nasty things, just trying to get in to Lot's house and to show you just how far Lot had gone. Look what he tells him. He said, Lot went outside to meet these men and shut the door behind him. And he said, no, my friends. To show you just how far he had, had gone. Now he's calling them and referring to them as, as friends. He says, friends, don't do this wicked thing. Friends? Like, seriously, Lot? Like, what the heck happened to you? 
and it gets worse. He says, look, you're my friends, and don't mess with these guys because I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Instead, let me bring them to you so you can do whatever with them that you like. Don't do anything with these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. And I read that, and I'm thinking, it just it got me so mad. Because what do you mean? Your, your own daughters aren't under the protection of your roof. These strangers are, however. You know why that phrase, the sin that so easily entangles is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1? Is because sin easily entangles. Sin will always take you further than you ever thought you would go. Sin will always hold you someplace longer than you ever thought you would stay. Here Lot is now treating strangers like family, but treating his family as if they were strangers. Here, take my girls instead. Dad's in the room. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine sending your, your, your daughters out to this, this mob of, of men? It's like, Lot, how'd you get to this point? You made a terrible defining moment decision. Now, real quick, I, I can't move on without addressing what, what the Bible says. And you should know that, that God says, and Jesus affirms in the New Testament, that sex is reserved for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage, period. Like, that's, that's what his word says time and time again. You can read about it, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, 5, and 6, where Jesus himself affirms the wedding that God established with, with Adam and Eve, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden. So here's what that means. Unquestionably, undeniably, homosexuality is outside of God's boundaries and design for sex. But so is adultery. But so is sex um, before marriage. Those are outside. Any kind of sexual immorality is outside of the boundaries of God's design. And people will push back and say, Colby, that is so narrow-minded. That is so antiquated of a position. Come on, Colby, you need to get with the times. And we've been super open about this and super clear uh, about our position on any kind of sexual immorality is the same position that God would take, but just as important as our position is, is, is on the subject is our approach to this subject. And we believe that as a church, we are called to build bridges, not to build Walls. So anyone is welcome here from any walk of life, from anything that you've done in your past, anything that you're doing right now. It doesn't mean I have to approve of it or be okay with it. And it doesn't mean you need me to do that. It doesn't mean you need me to, to convict you or, or try to change something about you. That's not my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit who wants to live inside of you and guide you and lead you. And it's up to him to change you and to change me. People always say, they'll say, love, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Or hate the sin, love the sinner, hate the sin, love the sin. Why don't we hate our own sin, right, and just kind of love each other? Because I don't know about you, hating my own sin is a full-time job. I got enough in my life that I gotta hate. So I'll hate my sin, you hate your sin, and we'll just love each other together. Seriously, amen? Come on. It's not up to us. We stand by what God's word says. So here's, here's the last thing. I'm gonna shut this thing down. The last thing that I want you to write down, I think Lot would tell us, is that your mistakes don't disqualify you from God's mercy. 
You should know that. That no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's it's gotten in your life, that your DMDs, your, your bad defining moment decisions do not disqualify you from the free gift of grace, from the mercy that God has for us. Verse nine is kind of blowing up in this moment and the guys are out outside yelling at Lot, get out of our way, get out of our way. You know, we're coming in. Um, this guy Lot, he came here as a foreigner. Now he's telling us what to do. He's playing judge, we'll treat you worse than we, we're gonna treat them. So they kept on kind of banging and Lot uh, moved out. They kept putting pressure on Lot. Look at verse 10. And it says the angels kind of being stronger than them. Uh, they reached in outside, pulled Lot back into the house, shut the door behind them. And then they struck all those guys out there with blindness. And I, I love that. I'm thinking those angels are some bad dudes, right? Right there. And the angels told Lot, hey, we're about to wipe this city out. According to what God has told us to do, we're going to play wipeout on the city. And the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons? son-in-laws, daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you, you need to warn them. You need to get them out of here as soon as you can because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against these people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. I was thinking about that this morning. And I think this is not doom and gloom, by the way, and this isn't the direction I was gonna take this. But I think there's an outcry to God today. We see so much evil. We see so much hatred. We see so much... Um, man, awful things happening in our world. That I think it's the noise is getting louder. And I do believe that God is, I think his heart breaks for where we are. This world desperately needs Jesus like we never have before. But he says, we're gonna get you out. So look at it. Lot tries to warn his future son-in-laws in verse 14. He went outside, spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. Because who is Lot now? I think Lot has lost all power of moral influence. He's the mayor. He's the guy at the city gates. And they're thinking, wait a second, you're telling us about our lifestyle? You're telling us that, that we need to get out? Like, are you, you've lost your mind. So they didn't go with the coming of the dawn. The angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife, take your daughters uh, who are here with you. They'll be swept away when the city is punished. Here's the last verse. Now, the Bible says that Lot waited until dawn to leave. And verse 16, when he hesitated. Why did he hesitate? He was still connected to Sodom. He was still connected to that sin. Sodom had made him wealthy. So he had a vested interest in that city, but he hesitated. Even though he hesitated, the men of God, the angels, grabbed his hands and the hands of his wife and his daughters led them safely out to the city, out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Your mistakes don't disqualify you from God's mercy. Even in your mess-ups, God is still merciful. And whenever God plays wipeout, He'll always provide a way out. This is what I want you to do. Bow your heads in this room. Some of you can identify greatly with Lot. Maybe it's been bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Here's what you need to know. That does not disqualify you. That does not define you. Your past 
experiences, your past decisions are not so uh, terrible that can't be overcome, that God doesn't want anything to do with you. Some of those lies that you've been told are lies of the enemy, trying to destroy the good work that God wants to do inside of your heart. In fact, the reason why you're here is once again for you to know how much God loves you, how much he wants to extend mercy and grace to you. Maybe you're like Lot, you're, you're hesitating. But just like Lot, as you reach out, God reaches back and he will pull you out of your sin, pull you out safely to the place he has for you. And you're here today, once again, to hear how much Jesus loves you. The Bible says he is slow. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to wipe out, so he provides a way out. And that's exactly what he did for you. 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus to take the sin of the world on his shoulders. So there's good news, bad news. It's a terrible thing that happened to Jesus, but it's great news for you because it means that the sin that you carry, the sin that you want to stay in, the, the poor decisions that you make, you don't have to live with those. You don't have to pay for that anymore because it's already been paid for for you. And the worst thing in the world, when you come to this moment, which right now for many of you, this is your defining moment decision. And the worst thing in the world is to turn away from a God, to turn away from a savior in Jesus, to reject the payment of sin when it's already been paid. When your debt's already been canceled, and you just have to receive that debt. One day God is gonna play wipeout on this world, but those who are in Christ, God provides a way out. God gives mercy to and grace to, and doesn't cost you anything except your life surrendering and saying, I'm gonna live for God instead. So those of you, hey, this is why you're here today because you need to get this right. This is your defining moment decision. You need to begin a, a new life with Jesus. You need to have your sins paid for. You, you want to, the, the grace and the mercy of God to be extended to you. You're hesitant, but as you reach out today, God is going to reach back and pull you out. If you say, Colby, that's why I'm here. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, would you just hold up your hand? You're just reaching back out to God saying, I need my sin paid for. I want my debt canceled. I wanna be set free. Awesome, praise God. Just hold up high. You're reaching out to him. He's reaching back to you. The way, the way we, we make that connection is through prayer. Just repeat something like this with your hand held high. Jesus, I surrender my life. I give it all to you. I don't wanna pay for my own sin because you've already paid for it. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna hold on to this shame or this guilt or this regret. I receive your mercy and your grace and your freedom that came with the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. I confess you as Lord and Savior. And from this moment on, I'm gonna hold on tightly to you, God. In your name I pray, amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, Share your story online at elevatechurch.com.